Good morning, ladies. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. That's what my mom would sing to me, right? Um, if I could have your attention, we're going to go ahead and get started because, ladies, we have quite the day, two hours ahead of us, and I'm really, really excited about it. A lot of time and energy has been put forth in it, and I think that you will be blessed by how God is going to provide today. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, um, for today. Thank you for amazing um, childcare workers downstairs that aren't just keeping our kids safe, but they're pouring into them and reminding them of God's love for them. Um, thank you for a church that provides facilities and a space for us to gather and and just be encouraged, Father, to be nurtured, encouraged, strengthened, and trained. And so we thank you and we pray today that everybody in this room will walk away feeling all of those things. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies. So today is our second part of our Anchored in Discipline. We had part one last month and part two is today. Part one last month was presented to you by Mandy Sisko and Millie Hill. And Mandy's up here and she's going to go ahead and give a recap of last month for those of you that either didn't hear it or just want to be, have, be reminded of what was said. Okay. So um, just help me out. Raise your hand if you didn't make it last month. This isn't like a shaming. It's just I want to know, okay, there's a lot of you in here. So just so everybody knows that a recap might be necessary. So last month when Millie and I came, we kind of um, surprised the whole crowd by not talking about what you thought you were going to hear. Right? Um, Which is kind of fun. But we learn in the Proverbs, Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 9, that folly is bound up in the heart of our kids, but it's also bound up in the heart of an undisciplined woman. And um, so we kind of banked there. We we hung out there for a little bit, and we talked about how we can't expect our kids to behave in, um, in a manner that we're not exhibiting, that we're not showing discipline in. And so we talked a lot about our hearts on discipline issues and are we disciplined in certain areas. And we got specific on some certain things, um, but even the specific principles that we got specific on don't really matter because there's so many of them. And where do you find those principles? In God's word. And so if you're wondering, hey, am I, am I disciplined? Am I showing my kids that those discipline qualities? Open up God's word and start reading it. And he will start to show you the areas that could use some work. Um, we also talked about 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 18 and how God's word is used for correcting, rebuking, training, um, and teaching teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training. And we talked, to, we, we really honed in on the two on the outside. And, and um, Millie will probably even mention this about the railroad track and how it keeps us on track and headed the right direction, the teaching and the training. And we really wanted to impress upon you guys the fact that that is a huge part in parenting. A lot of times when we think of discipline, we think of correcting and rebuking, but we wanted everybody to see the flip side of the training and the teaching and to really think about what can we impress on our kids that they can get. And so... um, What we ended up doing is just focusing on a few of those principles that are found in God's word and showing you that if you can start to impress those on your children, that gives us the outline for them to follow. It shows them where the boundaries are. So that way, when, not if, they misbehave, they take a misstep, they aren't disciplined in certain areas or they're doing something inappropriate, you can go, hey, Betty, 
Come over here. Remember what the boundaries are? Remember what God's word says? It says this. So let's come back to this place and let's, let's behave this way. And so that's kind of what we did last week. And then this week, we're hoping to focus more on the correcting and the rebuking side. That's right. And so we're going to start, um, kick us off here. Millie's going to come up and give you a very brief game plan. And so today we're transitioning from the, the teaching and training side of it and how it starts with you. And today we're going to transition to now when, when we have to, not if, but when we have to correct and, and uh, rebuke our children, how do we do that? And where do you even begin? And what does God's word say about that? And how is that? how can we do that in a biblical, godly, Christ-like way? And so Millie's going to make her way to the stage and she's going to give you a brief game plan um, for how to begin having a plan for that. Millie? I'll give you my podium. Okay. Hello. Hello. Try again. Mm-hmm. Test, test. I just flipped a button. Okay, so what we're going to really be talking about is how to formulate a plan. Okay, so what we need to consider is we kind of talked about a few things. I'm just going to recap a few things we know for sure. Every inclination of the human heart is sinful since or, or is sinful since childhood. That's Genesis. You know, if you want to just jot down like a scripture, we don't have a lot of slides that are going to point to that. So if you jot down a scripture, maybe you can look it up later. But every inclination of the human heart is sinful since childhood. It's hard to believe that those little babies are going to exhibit a sinful nature, but they do. And that's Genesis 8:21. There is no one righteous, not even one. That's Romans 3:10. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. I think that's so important to say is. We know that these little people are going to have folly in their heart, as are we if we don't deal with that and stay close to the Lord. And that's Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. And then in John three sixteen, it says that God so loved the world, he sent his son. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so I just want to make an appeal to y'all that sin is not a laughing matter. It's so easy when you see a three-year-old shaking their finger at you to think that's funny. But at 13, add 10 years to that, it's never funny at 13. I've never seen a 13-year-old do that to their mother and thought it was funny. So really make a point to say it. When I started diving into discipline many, many, many years ago, 23 to be exact, um, the, one of the first things I said, what I heard was, if you uh, start disciplining 10 minutes after your kids are born, you're 10 minutes too late. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to discipline, you know, because I was thinking spanking and correcting and But I've come to really appreciate that and love that because, guys, you've got to have a plan. Because it's not, like like Allison said, it's not if your kids are going to sin, but it's when they're going to sin. And it is going to happen. And so I really invest in setting up a plan, okay? So what does that look like? Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Let's go through these and... Am I going backwards? Okay, here we go. So it says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, I, that's a version that I'm not familiar with because I always said no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So it's a short-term pain, long-term gain when you look at it from a, from a corrective perspective. 
So here's my plan. When I sat down and thought of a plan for Blaine and I, I knew it was going to be very important that we were on the same page. So I started with the P. And I, you have to remind yourself, what is the purpose? The purpose is to train toward godliness. I love 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. You might write that down and just look at that verse. But spend some time, too, in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through this, he has given us his great and precious promises. And I love that, thinking about everything in God's word is great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Well, guys, he has asked us, he sent us an Evite. He wants us to participate in the good life. And so I think it's only necessary. We need to respond to that. I think it's also important to deal with your past. So let me go. Okay, why am I, am I going the wrong way or something? Let me see. Okay, maybe I got to, sorry about that. That's going to take up some of my time. And Lord knows I run out. Am I going the wrong way, guys? I'm not certain about this. Hello? Okay, hold on. Okay, I'm just going to go on. So when you start dealing with your past, we are all a product of our past, but we do not have to be prisoners. And I really say, you and your husband, if that's applicable to you, you and your husband need to sit down and consider what is your past. If you were abused as a child, if your husband was abused, you need to, in this plan, you've got to deal. Because I really feel like we give our kids three legacies. We give them a social, an emotional, and a spiritual. And I will tell you, my husband was handed what I would call a beaded wedding gown when it comes to generational blessing of spiritual legacy. Not only did his parents love the Lord, but his grandparents, his grandparents, grandparents. And so I wasn't handed what I would say a box of rags spiritually, but I was not handed the richness that he was handed. So there are so many ministries at our church, and I would appeal to each one of you. If you have hurts, habits, hangups, go to Regen, dive in, deal with your past. I think that's important. Okay, because I do know this for sure, and I've worked with a lot of moms over the years, there can always be a fork in the road. God is faithful about that. So be encouraged by that. Okay, in all caps, I want y'all to write prayer. Just write down prayer in the P, because there is no substitute for prayer. One of my great, my favorite verses right now for prayer is Psalm 62, 8, and it just says, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I think it's very important for us to pour out our hearts. I think, too, write down Proverbs 2. Spend some time there. It's the if and then chapter in Proverbs. And it says some little catchy things like, if you accept my words and store my commands, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. The, and then it says, then the Lord gives wisdom. You will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So just go through because as we navigate through, um, actually on the slide I had a, uh, a map. And y'all can put it on if you want to and I can just tell y'all where to go. Oh, it's frozen. 
Oh, I froze it up. Okay, so there's a map. And I would say as you, uh, as you navigate these waters through parenting, it's real easy to think, oh, I had the first child was so easy. You think about going to Austin. You think, oh, you get on 35, you go down south. It's just an easy little three-hour trek. Well, what happens on the second child if you get to Waco and the road is completely shut down? You've got to get your map out, which is God's word, and you've got to re-navigate those waters with your spouse or with your, you've got to figure out, how am I going to go? What do I need to do? And you've got to pray. The Lord wants to give you wisdom. In James 1.5, he says, ask and you will receive. He not only gives wisdom, but he gives it generously. That's his promise to us. And so I would say, as you're thinking about wisdom, That's what we need to raise these kids. If somebody gifted you a Kenmore dishwasher and it broke after six months, you're not going to call the Maytag repairman to come fix it. We have got to cry out. You're going to call Kenmore. You're going to call Sears. So we have got to learn that he is the creator of these little ones, and and we are he has entrusted them to us. So be a student of your children. Don't only pray for them. Pray with them. Okay, so the L in, in love or is love, and that is really understanding. That's probably, I say this every time I speak, the one thing I notice about women, and I was there as well, is they don't understand the love of Christ. Um, we are a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it talks about old and new self. We are a new creation. And so I would just tell you, out of that love, once you understand, because you are fearfully and wonderfully made, know that full well. That's Psalm 139.14. Also look at Romans 8.38. Oh, there you go, 38 and 39. That's a real important verse to be convinced Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So I want, you to, I want to encourage you because when it comes to discipline, God's discipline always grows out of love and is for the benefit of his children. And so I would just encourage you that we are not, when you think about love, you're not working to love and acceptance in Christ. You're working from that. And so when you're called to discipline your kids, and it's supposed to come out of love. I mean, for Blaine and I, we spent a lot of time on whether spanking was something we were going to feel comfortable with. And I did not know one scripture. I knew Jesus wept and for God so loved the world. And I literally got my Bible, opened it up, and looked up every disciplined scripture that I could see. And I wrote it on a wooden spoon. And guys, that came with a huge responsibility for our family. That was what we chose together. But every time there was an opportunity, and Blaine and I decided, the two big factors for us, when you put the chip up in the Plinko board, if it spit out on disrespect or willful disobedience, then it needed a consequence. Something needed to transpire. We didn't want those to take root. So I would encourage you, that's where you sit down because it's out of that love. We want God's best for our kids. Um, Okay, so then that's the love. There's the plan. So now we're going to go to, and be a lover of truth. Go to your Bible. Again, prayerfully go to your Bible. Ask for wisdom. So the next one is attitude and anger. Okay, I think we have to change our attitude about discipline. We just do. I loved this little chart that I saw in um, Focus on the Family. And it just literally talks about, let's look at punishment. Because I think we all think, if you do that again, you're going to get a spanking. And our heart is, it's going to be a punishment because you've colored outside the lines. You've done something wrong. So the purpose in punishment is to inflict a penalty for an offense. 
The focus is for past misdeeds. The attitude, typically from the mother, I've been there, is hostility and frustration on the part of the parent. And the resulting emotion is a fear and a guilt and a shame. Discipline, when you look at it correctively, it is to train for correction and maturity. The focus is for future acts. If your child is disrespectful and you don't handle it, okay, that's, okay, so three, your child is disrespectful. At, you know, then it becomes to a teacher and to a coach. Then it becomes to an employer. Then it becomes to a spouse. And then they're disrespectful to your grandchildren. So we've got to start looking that this is all taking root. So this is for future acts. That's the motivation that we come out of to, to discipline our children. And it's really our attitude is because love and concern on the part of the parent it's not going to be God's holy best for them. And that's what the goal is. And it provides security. Okay, so anger. Anger, it's a deal killer. I'm telling you, I've tried it. Don't waste your time on it. It is a deal killer. Like Mandy said, and like I've said before, a first responder is somebody that walks in and is trained and is intentional and their, their heart is to save the victim. And that's what we need to be. If you're flying off the handle, I can never count on you. I can never take you anywhere. You d-. That's not going to go well. And it's not going to make your kids feel secure. It's going to put a fear in them every time you walk in the room. And that's not our goal. I tell you, the funny thing is, this is what happens. You can cower over your kids. That's, that's a possibility. If you've got a two-year-old, you're bigger, you're stronger, you're all that. But let me tell you something. Their ears become immune. They tune you out. Because this is what happens at 12 and 13. It just, they, you better invest in a megaphone because you're going to need one. They're not going to hear you. So that's why that doesn't work. Okay. So now we're going to be no taste of victory. And that's probably not Allison's or my favorite way to say that. But no taste of victory. My pediatrician told me that when Sally was little and I never got it out of my mind. Um, He would say, don't give your kids a taste of victory. But that equates down to consistency. And I think it's important because on your handout, it says no discipline seems, uh, no, no, it says no discipline seems pleasant. Uh, This, uh, (sighs) I say that all the time. I've got it on a slide. Let me just go to the slide. Hey, it's working. It's not the severity of a consequence that changes the behavior. It's a certainty. It's knowing when they have colored outside the lines that you're going to lovingly go over and care for them. Okay, so what does that look like? I'm just going to kind of pare that down. Blaine going to the, I was taking Gracie to the doctor. She was three weeks. Blaine was three. We go in the doctor's office. We're waiting on the doctor and he's on the crinkly paper, jumping off, on the crinkly paper, jumping off. And I told him, I said, Blaine, if you do that again, when we leave, you're not going to get a lollipop. Once again, crinkly paper jumps off. I said, buddy, you're not getting a lollipop. And so then he did it again. I said, you know what? Now, next time we come to the doctor, you're not getting a lollipop. I had no idea when we were going to be at the doctor next. So three weeks later, night before, I go, oh, geez, we're going to the doctor. So I went in, low tide moment, scratching his back. Hey, buddy, guess where we're going tomorrow? We're taking Gracie to the doctor. I said, you know what? Remember what happened last time you disobeyed? You're not getting a lollipop. And so end of story, went in. He was so amazing. He sat in the little chair, read the book all the whole time. And so we get ready to leave and I'm paying at the desk and I feel this tug on my shirt and I I look down and go, yeah, what do you need, buddy? And he said, mom, I know I can't get a lollipop, but can I get a sticker? Well, I got in the car and I was like, 
I want to give him 10 lollipops. And so, but I didn't because I kept saying, no taste of victory, no taste of victory. No. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I had that taste of victory. But I'll tell you, that wasn't a one-time happenstance. That was, we had a history together. He knew that I was a mom he could count on. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, 5, it says, it is better not to make a vow than to make a vow that you don't fulfill. So don't be throwing out things that you're not willing to stand up and rise up and deliver. So I think that's really important. Now, the other part of that is not only no taste, uh, yeah, no taste of victory and the consistency, but also no gray areas. I think our expectations have to be so clear. Recently, we got the opportunity to babysit, well, not really babysit, but a seven-year-old. And I know his family history is from Austin, and his grandfather was going to be in town, and so they asked Gracie to babysit on spring break. And she was like, really? All day, every day? And I go, well, Gracie, I mean, for two days. And I said, you know what? I'll be at work on Thursday, but I'll help all day Friday, and you can sleep late or whatever. So Thursday night, we all went to dinner together, and my husband kept him entertained on Thursday but, with Gracie. But on Friday, I mean, on Thursday night, we all went to dinner together, and I noticed that this little boy who I know is from a, he's, his mom and dad are not married. He's shuffled around at every turn. He has no consistency in his family. I noticed his manners were just not non-existent. And he would ask the waiter, um, can I have a Sprite? And I'd go, Leighton, may I please have a Sprite? Now this was right in front of his grandfather. Then he would address his grandfather. And I was like, Leighton, is that the way you talk to Papo? And then his grandfather was kind of like, yeah, is that the way you talk to me? So, I mean, I was thinking, oh gosh, but I knew I was going to be spending a lot of time with him the next day. And so this was not going to go well. So then Leighton would look at me, he goes, Miss Millie, on a scale of one to 10, how do you see my arm? And I said, a 10. He said, Miss Millie, on a scale of one to 10, how do you see me? I said, a 10. And I said, but your manners, a two. But after tomorrow, a 10. So... (laughs) I picked him up at 7.30, and he got in the car, and his granddad was like, Leighton, you better have your good manners. So we didn't even get out of the parking lot. And he was like, Miss Millie, uh, may you please hold my apple juice? I said, absolutely. And I said, oh, my gosh. I go, boy, you must have dug deep in that suitcase. And so we drove along, and I said, do you like donuts? Yes, ma'am. So by the time, I mean, everything was yes, ma'am, thank you, everything. So we were just driving down the street, and I asked him a question. He said, yes, ma'am. And I said, toot, toot, Leighton got his manners, woo. And so we celebrated. So we go home and we play football. And so we played football and then we went in the house that afternoon and Gracie, you know, slinking in about 1130 or 12. So we're watching a movie. Guess where Leighton sat? Right by me with his legs over my lap. So we just loved on each other. And there was one little thing where he didn't say please. And so I did what I did with my kids. He said, can I have some ketchup? And I went, And he said, may I have some ketchup, please? And I jumped around and ran around the room. I got more exercise that day. So, but the moral of the story is when he got ready to leave, he came up to me and he said, we were outside on the patio and he said, Miss Miller, he goes, can I have a hug? And I said, I wouldn't let you leave without a hug. And I said, I go, but I do want to know one thing. On a scale of one to 10, how do you see my arm? And he said, 10 and three fourths. So (laughs) we had a good time. So I wanted to tell you that story because expectations. Here's a seven-year-old that entered my home. He didn't have manners. He didn't have expectations at his house, but he rose to the occasion of what I said. And so I will just tell you, notice the good things your kids are doing. It's not always, I love you. I love you. It's the little touches. It's the little things that you can do to implant and encourage them and spur them on.
Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about is if you have a good plan that you implement, you're going to plant. And that's just the way it goes. Um, We're going to reap what we sow. We're going to reap more than we sow. And we're going to reap later than we sow. And I think in Galatians, um, I believe it's 6, 7. I love 6, 9. But in 6, 7, the Lord says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, there he, there he also will reap. And I would just encourage you, if we, we cannot sow disobedience to God and expect to reap a blessing. What we sow, we reap. So let us not deceive ourselves. We will reap the harvest of our lives, what we're taking the time to sow. So write down Colossians 2.7, and it says, let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth and that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I will tell you guys that we've talked all year about anchor. The roots are what gives something anchor. You've got to grow down in him. I know one thing for sure, and I saw this tweeted out one day and it's so true. If you live your life by principles, 99% of all your decisions are already made. So I would just encourage you, get into God's word. That's where we need to stand on. And I hope you're encouraged by the panel that uh, that, uh, Allison and Mandy have put together. So. I'm going to need y'all. Yeah, thanks. My microphone has a mind of its own. Okay. Thank you, Millie. We so appreciate that. And that is an excellent plan. Um, We want you guys to have a little bit of table time while we bring our um, panel up here and get them situated and ready. And so will y'all discuss at your tables, what's the number one challenge or what challenges are you facing in your home discipline-wise right now? Okay? So y'all talk amongst yourselves and we'll come back in just a minute. It was so good. Oh, come on. All right, ladies. I know you could talk for a long time about this question because, oh, the list is long, but we're going to get started because this is going to be amazing. All right. If I can have your attention, thank you so much. Okay. So are y'all ready? Woohoo! They want to talk more. We're going to give you time at the end. This is what y'all are. This is what you came for. Okay, so on stage with me is a group of God-fearing women that happen to be on the Nest Leadership Team. And they're up here because the rest of today, we want to show you how we have said that principles, um, principle, or methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do. So last month, in the beginning of today, you heard principles, principles, principles. And now how do we implement those principles in our home can vary from home to home. And so we want to be black and white where God's word is black and white and gray where God's word is gray. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, And so we have a group of women on stage today to represent many different homes and many different um, uh, dynamics of homes. And so you're going to hear from them the answers to the questions that you sent us in last month. And so, ladies, can you please introduce yourself, starting with Miss Jeannie? I'm Jeannie Cox. You need a microphone, baby. I'm Jeannie Cox. I'm Mandy and Allison's president of their current fan club. Yeah. Um, so, and your kids love Oh, I thought kids. I was the president of her fan club. Know, Sorry. Just say how many you have and their ages. Can you do yes, that? You don't have to I do have names. I have a girl, Caitlin, who's 16 and not driving yet. She's about to be 17. That was not the plan. <laughs> Um, a freshman, 15, Sydney, and then eighth grader, Emily Jane, who's getting back from Washington, D.C. tonight, tore up the town. 
Um, Jay, who's sixth grade, our only boy, Kamikaze, and then Lucy, who's my little butterfly. She is fourth grade, 10. Okay, I'm Lindsay. I have three kids. Tanner is in first grade. He's seven. Emma is, well, she just turned five. She'll be in kindergarten next year. And then a little baby, Brady, is 15 months. All right, I'm Jessica. I have four boys. David is seven. Elliot is six. Micah is four, and Nathan is 19 months. Yeah, y'all heard that right. Uh (laughs) Yes, they've been busy. Um, My name is Millie. I have Sally that's 23, almost 24, Blaine that's 20, and Gracie that is 17. Awesome. Okay, so Millie, you're going to start us off here. So there is a difference between childishness and foolishness. Would you help us understand the difference so that we can understand what we train versus what we discipline? Okay. Well, I had a slide, and I don't know what happened to our little slide thing, but it's not that big of a deal. I don't have the slides on there, honey. Oh, you don't? Okay. That's okay. Okay, so foolishness, well, childishness is just behaviors appropriate to an immature person. So childishness, you know, that's when your kids are just acting kind of silly. You know, it's not, I think the difference for me between childishness and folly, and that, that really involves the heart. That's when you really, I think as you're prayerful and you, and you stay connected with the Lord, you st- and, and you pray for that wisdom, you start seeing that when your ch- kids, ex- and when we, we as well uh, exhibit folly, it's just, um, it's an, it's an action of the heart. It's, it's willful. It's really, it's someone who disrespects God's word, basically. Yeah, so childness, an example would be you leave a thing of glue out on your table and a 15-month picks it up and the 15-month-old picks it up and is like, what's this? And starts squirting it and it winds up everywhere, a big mess. That's just childishness. He's curious. Foolishness would be your eight-year-old going over to that and be like, and he's squeezing it all over everywhere. See the difference? Okay. And so childishness, we train, we correct, we train and we guide. Whereas foolishness, we, with sin and we correct, that's what we correct and we discipline. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. So what are forms of discipline? We're going to ask Jessica to tell us corrective discipline. What are some different forms of that and, and ages that it's appropriate to use different ones? Okay. Um, one of the handouts is an age appropriate discipline techniques that you guys. <sighs> okay. <laughs> That you should have on your table. So um, distraction or redirection, that's between 0 and 18 months. Timeouts, eight to, uh, 2 to 8. And then loss of privileges can start at as early as 18 months. Spanking under control, typically best for ages 2 to 6. And then there are creative, natural, and logical um, consequences that can start around year 2. Okay. And in your house, what are some things that you tend to go to? What are your hate to say favorites, but what are your go-to corrective disciplines? Um, my go-to tends to be spanking. Um, we're getting to an age with my oldest where um, a loss of privileges is starting to work. So I think he would pick a spanking over a loss of privilege if I were to give him the option because the spanking <laughs> would be over, you know, in a couple of minutes, whereas the loss of privilege might be a week. So, um, but it varies just depending on the child. Um, I, I'm kind of in all of these because of the variance of ages of my boys. Mm-hmm. And for what they've done wrong. Yes. Where, you know, mm-hmm. severity. For sure. The all right, right. Uh, Lindsay. So not all children are created equal. Some kiddos don't respond to typical discipline. Can you share some forms of creative discipline that you've applied in your home? 
Sure. Um, so we're in the four, four and five-year-old and seven-year-old ages, and so I feel like you can do a lot of creative things. Um, our main thing in our home is not exercising self-control. So when you don't exercise that, you get to exercise. So we have a great path in the backyard that um, they run laps. Um, you might do air squats. You might do push-ups. And you might do them after you think you can't do any more. So um, <laughs> that's just one thing that I use a lot. Um, another thing that we've done is if you use um, just words that are ugly or yucky words, you'll go clean the bathroom, and that includes the toilet. Um, I have the cleanest bathroom right now. Um, my son's great at it, so great. <laughs> um, uh, that's one thing. Let's see. If you're just ugly to your sister or your brother, you might just hug it out for a while until you soften towards them. They hate that one. At least my, my daughter loves it. My son does not. Um, if they're whining or complaining, I'll say, I, I feel like you're telling me you need a rest um, so we can go take a nap. Or if you think you can turn it around, you can try again. Um, but that's usually where they'll just, oh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't actually need a rest. Um, hurting others with your words. Um, we've written notes to people. We've gone to people's homes to ask for forgiveness. Um, just, yeah, taking the next step, not just being like, well, I'm really bummed I did that, but really taking um, responsibility for your actions in that. Um, if they destroy or write on or somehow demolish something in their rooms, if, um, if it makes sense, we will have them correct it. If it includes something fun like painting or using tools, then we'll be like, no, you get to do a chore. Um, so finding a balance there of making it right in the home um, and, and just making it right. So whatever that looks Mandy, like. That was amazing. Mandy, That's do you have good. anything you can add? Yeah. I, so I um, grew up in an authoritarian home, a very loving, very godly home, but it was authority-based. And so I think I'm learning as I've been parenting just kind of a different way to do it and something that I feel like has, has worked a little bit better for my kiddos. And so whenever we're disciplining in our house and, um, and my kids are a little, I didn't share, but I have a, an 11 year old, a 10 year old, um, an eight year old and a six year old. But I remember well when the six year old was little, it was, seems like it's all still very fresh and painful, um, <laughs> but and good and good. Um, but one of the things that I'm really learning with number three, and I've talked about that, um, about him from the stage before and why Lindsay and I connect well is just because we feel like, um, not when Allison said, not all kids are created equal. There are, there are children that you can look at and go, no, sir. And they stop what they're doing. And they're angelic, honestly. And um, I don't have a lot of those kids. Um, I'm the one in the community group that's like embarrassed because everyone else's kids, you know, respond to the, to the no, sir. Um, but I just call my kids passionate and they just need a lot of redirection. But I've noticed that an authoritarian, coming down on them with, with an authoritarian guide has not done well for my children with, this, with these huge passions. But what has worked for us and again, this is what works in our family, is just giving them connection and empowerment. And so whatever we do, whatever the redirection is, the consequence, I have to connect with them. If it doesn't connect with them, if it's just a, a hard, firm discipline that's disconnected from them, then they retreat on me and it doesn't do any good. And so um, we do a lot of, would you like to try that again? 
Um, and that saves us a ton of time. And so if I could just tell you to implement that one thing before you go to a consequence of like, oh, you wanna try that again? Try that again. And if they can do it right the next time, then super. Um, and I just did this yesterday with Griffin when he didn't want to do something. And, um, and one of the things I'm really learning, and this is based on a, um, Karen Purvis, some Karen Purvis stuff that I've been looking at, is literally like, do it right away. It has to be immediate. Brain development says within three seconds. Um, your response to anything, whether good or bad. Oh, I love the way you put the dishes in the sink this time. Great job. Um, even those need to be within three seconds for healthy brain development for them to get it. And then also direct within three feet. And a lot of times this is where moms are getting tripped up because we're on our phones or we're doing something and we're talking to them, but we're not looking at them. And direct means my body language is to you. My eyes are to you. I could reach out and touch you if I wanted to. Again, both positive and negative. And then it has to be efficient. It has to match. How many times have our kids done something little and we've like erupted on them and there's no matching there. And so if they've done something little, it's, oh, go try that again. Let's do it a different way. And if it needs to be matched a little bit harder, I said no, I meant no, try it again. You know, we just got to match them. We don't have to, you don't have to use force if you have relationship is kind of what I'm getting at. Creative consequences, we've used a lot of Lindsay's and a few others would be, um, my kids like to lean on their chairs at dinner time and it makes me crazy because I think they're going to break or they're going to fall and get hurt. And so we just take the chair away and you get to stand through dinner. Um, and then um, if they're over aggressive with their, kid, with their siblings at all, when they were little, little, would you go draw Allie a picture since you didn't treat her nice and you bit her leg? Go draw her a picture, <laughs> give her a hug and um, tell her you love her. Um, messiness is my favorite one. If my kids um, leave something on the floor, don't put a toy away, then I just, hey, could you come with me for a minute? Come over here. Do you see this train stuff that you were working with earlier? Are you done with it? Yes, ma'am. Did you put it away? No, ma'am. Okay, I need you to walk from here to the closet where the trains go five times. Ready? I'm gonna count. One, two, three, four, five. Wouldn't it have been easier to put it away the first time? Yes, ma'am. Okay, put it away, please. Thank you. And I love that one because they're like, mom's going to make me do this five times if I don't do it the first time. So that's Man, me. I mean, y'all, gold mine. This is a gold mine up here. I'm taking notes myself. Um, okay, Jeannie, would you please talk to us? What does grace look like within corrective discipline? Basically, how do we extend grace to our children without being inconsistent, as Millie talked about earlier? Yeah, um, I think... One thing that came to me as we were praying over the whole um, topic is all is grace, okay? Grace, there's a distinction between grace, which is God's riches at Christ's expense, and mercy, which is not getting what you do deserve. So grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I think we kind of mix it all in to... If I'm, I want to show him grace because God in Psalm 103, it says he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve or repay me according to my iniquity. And we take that verse and somehow I think we twist it into parenting as they're going to really learn grace if I just let them off the hook and I give them an excuse. When the truth is, it takes an enormous amount of love and discipline and consistency. My biggest prayer my whole parenting life has been to be kind and to be consistent because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance right? His loving kindness, harsh words, stir up anger, exasperate children, fool gives full vent to his anger. I just have this list of verses that I have in my 
bathroom that I pray through, kind of a right foot, left foot, before I try to administer discipline, especially spanking at your stages or bringing them in for a consequence, we would always go to the bathroom because it gave, I would send them to the bathroom a lot of times and have them sit there and, and wait for me while I kind of gathered my thoughts. Or I would go to the restroom and have them come in with me. I would read through those verses and kind of center myself on what is consistency. Here's the deal. You have to know that you are doing them a favor and you're giving them hope that maybe next time. It only takes one or two times of getting away with something for the elephant to believe they might actually be able to pull up the stake. But if the stake goes in hard and fast, right off the bat, expectations are everything they're going to expect to get back to it. Um, In Jude 4, it says... There are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and turn it into license for immorality and deny the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want them to pervert grace and turn it into a license that God's going to forgive me. It's okay. Be consistent. Know what your standard is, and we'll talk about that later, but be consistent. Um, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with wicked schemes to do wrong. Hmm. And so like Mandy's saying, if they don't have right now, they're in the stage of um, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Right now, they just need to see it clearly. This is what's going to happen if you do that the right way. And this is what's going to happen if you do it the wrong way. Saves you both a lot of regret. Proverbs 5.12 says, um, You will say, How I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. It matters that you're consistent. It matters that I'm consistent, especially in what they see me do, not only what they hear me say. If I tell them that water is the best thing for me to be drinking, but they consistently see me turning to Diet Coke and 7-Eleven in a Styrofoam cup. This is just a hypothetical, right? That, <laughs> of course, it's not my drug of choice, Mandy, never. Um, but it, they're going to want the soda, right? They're going to believe that's where true life is. So this verse, you would think, you would say that to your child, how your heart spurned correction, but no, how we spurn correction and we spurn the discipline of discipline, you know, and hating to discipline, and we just want we want to get off the hook. Um, and this is, I think, one of the key things when my kid keeps coming back and being defiant with me and, um, and I want to extend grace just because I'm tired. God says that kids are blessed when we discipline them. Kids are happier. Lack of discipline kills them. Proverbs 5.23, they'll be led astray by their own folly. Failing to follow through leads others astray, such as your other children and the other moms watching. Mm. Get that first one and oldest one to know what the consequence is, and you will follow suit. I watched my dad chase mm. my older sister around and around the kitchen table. Too much makeup, skirts too short, not going out like that. And I swore to him I would never wear makeup, which is not true. I did, not much, but I saw how it pained them, and it, there is a trickle-down effect. Mm. Um, so if we screw up the oldest one, there's hope for more. So have lots of kids. Um, <laughs> it's worked for us so far. Yeah. Such as, um, yeah. And faithfully doing the right things, let them know that you love them. Okay. Yeah. It lets them know you love them. Yeah. So I would just say, you got to check out context. Grace is not letting them off the hook. Sometimes yeah. grace is extending that discipline so that they will learn. Mm-hmm. Thanks That's for that. good. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, defiance and disobedience. 
Um, as your kids get a little older, those of you that have little littles in the room, you're seeing a lot of um, what we would call willful disobedience. It's a defiance towards parents' instructions. Um, but it can be, um, or any disobedience is a defiance towards parents' instructions, but it can be active and it can be passive. If you have little littles, you're seeing a lot of active. As your kids get a little bit older and closer to the elementary school ages, you're going to start to see passive disobedience which looks a little bit like, I did it, I just didn't do it all the way. Or I did it real slow, I was real slow about doing it. Or I just, oh, I forgot that you told me I couldn't eat all the food at the neighbor's house, you know? Um, And so just know that as they get a little bit older, it's still disobedience. It's just a passive disobedience. So keep an eye out for that. But we wanna ask, um, Jessica, what do you do when your child is persistently defiant? Um, Okay, so one of the things is, I mean, you mentioned it before, is being consistent with whatever it is you have chosen as your mode of discipline. Um, it can be easy to get weary and just like, okay, I just want this to be over. Like, what can I do to, like, make this stop? Um, because the 18-month-old wants me and the 7-year-old and I are having, like, this battle. It's usually him. Um, so just being consistent and um, just knowing, like, in Galatians 6, 9, it says, so um, let... So let not allow ourselves to be fatigued in doing good. And at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we do not give up or quit. And you mentioned it, Millie. You know, add 10 years to whatever it is they're doing. I don't want to have this back and forth with my 17-year-old. Um, at that point, it's, it's going to be kind of too late. And so I have to remember when he's seven that I have to win this, that he can't taste the victory. Um, I like that. I need to write that down and remember it, but maybe even tell it to him. You cannot win. Um, might be useful, but I just, being consistent can be hard because I'm distracted with lots of kids. And so I just have to continue doing what it is that I'm doing. And usually for him, it tends to result in a spanking. Um, we are starting to lose privileges. He's lost privileges and had a spanking. It's, you know. Will you speak to that a little bit too, Millie? A persistently defiant kid. Okay, the persistently defiant kid. I think, you know, you've got to really, I think, first and foremost, consider the age. Because I think when you start seeing that, one, and and I said anything below two, and they're just dropping to the ground having a temper tantrum, I think you basically just have to totally ignore that. When I mean ignore it, don't even look at it. Now, what happens, though, because I always kind of put mine through a grid and always kind of say, you know, because I think if it's over two, Many times that's the heart, and you will see them not only have the temper tantrum, but then if you walk out of the room, they will run after you and hit you. Then it becomes a whole different issue. You know, then it becomes a disrespect issue, and you have to handle it. For us, that's how we did it. I would say, too, um, those times when you have a child going through that, really, I always say do two-step with the Lord. I've taken a lot of two-step lessons over the year, and I think you've got to stand back and kind of assess what's going on, dial it in. Talk with your husband. Figure out, maybe we don't need to stay so busy. Maybe we need just to kind of stay close at home and let this kind of pass. Because it is a season, and it does kind of correct itself. You know, if you'll just kind of dial it back in. Um, I think that's really, I mean, just folly is bound up in the heart of the child. And it is going to be different for all children. I've got one child that has about .01, and then I've got one that has off the grid of 10. 
So it all varies. And so you just got to stand, stand firm with what you believe in. That's good. That's good. And two, just knowing that, um, remember every behavior has a reason. So what is the connection piece that's missing right here? We are throwing a tantrum. We are being persistently defiant for a reason. And so study your kids well. Try to understand what it is that they're going through. I have one that threw more tantrums than others, and he truly has some sensory processing things going on. That doesn't always mean that. Just because your kid threw themselves on the floor today doesn't mean, oh my gosh, they need to be labeled with something. But if we are good students, we recognize we only have this trouble when we're putting on socks. There's something to that, you know, or I, we only have this trouble when we're at the tree fort and there aren't clear boundaries. So my kid needs to play somewhere with clear boundaries. So just be a good student of your kid. Yeah. And real quick, I was just going to say, when you're, when you notice that under two, usually it's a frustration. They don't have the words to tell you what they want. And so that kind of thing, if you just remove it and kind of then just kind of say, oh yeah, like Mandy said, assess it and kind of then apply it so you can kind of avoid that the next time. That's good. That's good. Okay, Jeannie, can you speak to the frustration toward parenting that, is that, that defiant child? And I think Jessica did a pretty good job of it, but would you add anything to just what it can feel like we're just trying to outlast our kids? No, get back in bed. I said, get back in bed. Please go to bed. It's like whack-a-mole at my house at bedtime. So <laughs> what, how do you not grow weary in that? Did you have anything to add? Yeah, that's, I think that would explain about half my parenting in terms of really figuring out what is, is going on in, with the persistently um, defiant child. Is that mm-hmm. what you're talking about? Yeah. I think at that point in time, you really realize God is working more on you oftentimes than he is the kid. You know, there's just a point in time where you realize he's teaching you perseverance and impatience, uh, perseverance and patience in a way that you didn't even know that um, you needed to learn it. And the persistently, I had some... Um, I did have some notes on here about <laughs> what did you do with a pers- persistently defiant child. Hang on to this for just a second. I got it. Yeah. Um, You're good. No, you had, um, yes. Tantrums? Yes. You move into the tantrums? tantrums? Yes, because Millie, yes. Um, <laughs> yes, I put... Psalm 78 is, I had a scripture, I'm like, I know, if you guys would turn to Psalm 78, especially 32 through 39, you get God more than most in this situation, because God consistently has poured his love out on us, trained us, taught us, given us every example through creation known to man, and we throw it back in his face, and we consistently turn back to our willful ways, um, he has to get your heart before he can get theirs. And if he's given you, I, I liken this, and I know this is another strong example. It's like a cancer that keeps coming back. Maybe a friend of yours had cancer and it, it went away and they had radiation and chemo and they're back in the game. But yours just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. It feels like you're getting bombarded by tidal waves. Um, I really think that's when you can go, Lord, this is my sanctification process. This is the tool that you're using to really unleash your grace and mercy in my heart. And you're going to turn this beating into a blessing. I know you are. But it does feel like you've almost lost a love for your child. And I do think that um, they need to respect us. I'll touch on this in another thing before they like us. You have to respect yourself enough to know hold your standard. You know, it'll make you question whether you're actually holding the right line. I think you do have to come creatively at a child from different angles. What worked for one won't work for the other. But I would just double down and do word studies on stubbornness, refusing to obey, grumbling, complaining, disobey. 
glean through the word for that. There's a book that helped me a ton with this with character issues called For Instructions in Righteousness. And we put it on the website as an example. When you are at the end of your rope with a child that persists in a behavior, it takes you through the examples in scripture of people who did it right and what the blessings were, people who did this aspect of life wrong, what the curses were, and then some really poignant passages on what to do. And it just, you, this just means you need to slow down, just mm-hmm. like Millie was saying. Mm-hmm. Take some time out, step back, and go, hey, some kids are just harder to learn than others. And, and the Keglers have some great contrast and compare between their two, t- two twins, one who was very compliant and one who wasn't. And they were birthed, raised exactly the same way, their oldest children. <laughs> There's just no reason why one should respond so differently other than one had a lot stronger will than the other. Uh-huh. And that's just the way God made them. So that's it true. is about sacred parenting. Um, when the crazy kicks in, you have to be geared up and prepare for battle each day with this defiant child. Get up, get your cup of coffee, get your Bible, Get some time with Jesus and tell yourself, I am gearing up for battle mm-hmm. every day. And be prepared. Expect it. That's good. Mm-hmm. Hey, since you've got a baby at home, Lindsay, yeah. or a really young one, what about those beginning? Some of these mamas yeah. are in the beginning phases. Yeah. Like they're new to tantrums. Like they all just, their jaw mm-hmm. hit the ground because they were like, oh, shoot, me too. Right. So just two weeks ago, I had teen, or Brady just threw his first fit. So yay, high five moms. Um, it's special. Um, Brady does not want to get in his car seat and he does not want to get in his, in his high chair. So that's where we've seen both of the tantrums um, usually during the day. And it's, um, I'm sure you recognize this, head down on the ground, like pounding, thrashing everywhere like a fish out of water. So what we have done is um, there's kind of two pieces to this. The offensive piece that we're doing is during the day, if we're going to the car seat, I'm going to say, hey, Brady, let's go get in your car seat and I'll speak for him. This is, this is what we do, y'all. Moms are weird. And I'll say, okay, mama. And then I'll put him in the car seat. And during the day at other points, I might say, Brady, let's pick up this toy and put it in the basket. Brady, pick up the toy, put it in the basket. Okay, mama, and I'll help him do it. And so we're constantly working on this in the offensive side. But then when it comes time to get in that car seat or that high chair, sometimes you just got to make it happen. And sometimes I can allow for that thrashing on the floor and you just finish your deal. And then I'm going to say it again. Brady, we're going to get in the car seat, and he's going to do it. So um, that's kind of a twofold, how we're doing it offensively, and then sometimes we are just going to get it done. Um, but also, um, I don't know if you want me to start with consequence or how I'm doing. Yeah. I can, For I tantrums? We're yeah. on the tantrum question. Well, it kind yeah. of goes into that. But yes, or two days ago, he had his first spanking. And I've been praying about what this first spanking would be, and God has always made it really clear to me with my other kids And so I was waiting for it. Um, He swatted the TV. And so what I'm doing with this behavior right now, because it said, like, where do you start with discipline with this? Mm -hmm. This is why I'm going here. So I looked at him and I said, Brady, no hit TV. And then he's kind of like, whatever. I distract. And then he goes back to it and he looks at me and he does it again, full swat. And I hold both of his hands and I squeeze them. And I said with my eyes, no touch TV. And then he's like, yeah, whatever. So then he plays a second again, and then he did it again, y'all. And that's when I was like, Holy Spirit, that's you. He looked at me. (sighs) 
He looked at me and was like, so mom, I'm going to swap this TV again. What you going to do about it? And so I had, I, I took his hands and I put him on my leg and I, I gave him a spanking and he and I both cried our eyes out, but it was our first one and we did it. And so that's our pattern. That's what it's going to be, um, from now on. So that's the tantrum and the kind of steps in, in disobedience. I love that. That's good. Lindsay. Allison, do you want to add anything to tantrums? Um, briefly, I will. Okay. And so as they get older, they still have tantrums. It looks completely different, <laughs> kind of. And so it looks like a three-year-old or a four-year-old, like, building Legos, and he's like, and it doesn't work right, and it's like, and he's like, freaks out on you, right? And so as they get older, the tantrums, you have to start helping them identify, are they frustrated because they need help? Or are they not frustrated because they're not getting what they want? And your response is different. If they look like they're needing help, it's, oh, hey, Parker, are you having trouble with your Legos? And he's like, you know, and then you go, oh, I would be glad to help you. All you need to say, hey, mommy, can I get some help, please? Would you like to try that? And then he's like, mommy, can I have some help, please? Uh, Like, you know, and then it's like, oh, that, that was real close. Let's try it one more time. And it's like, mommy, can I have some help, please? And I'm like, oh, we're getting there close. Okay, one more time. And he's like, oh, my word, you're so annoying. Mom, would you help me, please? Yes, that's what I'm looking for. I'd love to help you fix your Legos, right? And so we have to identify, are they frustrated because they need help? Or are they mad because they're not getting what they want? And so if it's with they're mad because they're not getting what they want, that's when... You have to allow them um, to have a voice when they get older. Mommy, now I'm going to say yes means yes, no means no. And so if they ask for a refill on ice cream and you're like, hey, no, we're not going to have ice cream. Let's go with the TV. Um, It's the time to turn off the TV show. And I say, hey, guys, time to turn off the TV show. Come to dinner. And my answer is my answer. And so if they're like, oh, really? Can we just finish? I'd be like, no, my my answer was turn off the TV and let's go. And so you don't want to get them a taste of victory in the sense that don't let their tantrum change your response. And so as they get older, we now want to give them a voice and teach them how to respectfully appeal. And so it would look like in our house, hey, guys, turn off the TV. It's time to come to dinner. And what I want to see them first is to acknowledge that I have asked them to do something. And so they would say, yes, ma'am. Or And um, Lindsay said, okay, mama, something along the lines of, hey, I heard you. And they now are moving towards obedience. So they are getting out of the couch. They're getting the remote to turn it off. Like they're moving in that direction. And then if they want to make an appeal, how we respectfully do that is say, um, mom, moving again. Okay, mama, I'll turn off the TV. Hey, there's two minutes left. Do you mind if I finish that real quick? And I would normally gladly go, oh yeah, I get wanting to complete a task. I'm a type A person. I get that. And so I want to give them tools to typically, sometimes when they're tantruming, whenever it's, um, they don't get what they want, you want to help them to understand how to respectfully appeal you as they get older. And so... Uh-huh. Moving on, next question. That's good. Okay, Millie, um, help our mamas to know how to handle the manipulator in the family. If they give an, if you give an answer, but the child reciprocates, it's a little bit about what Allison was talking about. Would you I add think anything? Exactly. I would just add. You know, I love the phrase. I did not use this, but I love it. And when they ask you a question and you say no, you say you I, you asked and I answered. Period. And that just basically sends a message that you asked, I answered, and it's over. I think if we can do that and we're a parent that our kids can count on, I think if you have those go-tos, just like when Lindsay was talking about the car seat, I always refer to their car seat as a safe seat. And when they were arching their back and didn't want to get in it, 
I would just say, nope, we got to get in our safe seat. It sent a message to me. I was putting them there for a reason. It sent a message to them. I was like, I love you too much to let you wander around the car. I'm putting you in your safe seat. So I think if we have those go-to phrases that we can just use all the time, then we're equipped and we don't get frustrated because they'll catch on real quick. You asked, I answered, and that's it. I think the wisest thing we can do is really pray and evaluate because a lot of times, I mean, we're talking about the manipulator, right? Because really, I think a lot of times our words send the message that we're we're okay with manipulation. I've I've been with moms where they'll they'll give their child, they'll tell the older child, make that's your special toy. Well, when if the baby gets that toy, then immediately the older child wants it, and the mom's like, oh, just give the baby something else. Where well, you're you're kind of fostering manipulation because to me, manipulation they want their way, and if you foster that, then that can escalate and it can get out of control. And so I just think with your words, what are you teaching your kids? Are you teaching them to be manipulators? Because I think it's real important to make sure you're not encouraging that with your words. That's good. And um, real quick, before we go on, if Erica Melendez is in the room, Training Grounds is trying to reach you. So if you'll just squeeze out real quick, that'd be great. All is well. Just they need you. Hey, Jeannie, can you give us the two-minute short version of your opinion of manipulators? Yeah. I believe the manipulators in the world, like your Jacob, They're your problem solvers. They're your people that can get it done. I don't believe manipulation is a bad word. I think we've given it a bad rap. I think we use it only in the negative connotation, and especially with girls. As you get older, stick this in your back pocket. There's a Queen Bees and Wannabes book that has helped me a lot, just navigating girl relationships. But I think you have to learn to let your words be few, to stop when you want them to do something, ask a question, do let them think they've come up with their own, their, the idea themselves. Like, Emily Jane, I need you to clean your room. What would be the, if you had 10 minutes to clean your room, what would be the top three things you think need to be addressed? Let her almost come up with her own assignment. That That's has great. helped us a lot. That is great. Because, and it takes a lot of self-control on my part because I'm very dictatorial. I like to just go, boom, get it done. Um, kids like to know your time frame and what your plan is. If you've got a controller and a manipulator and you're jerking that wagon all over the place and not letting them know kind of what the order of business is, that's very frustrating for somebody who later in life is going to be an ER doctor and probably need to make quick decisions really fast. You don't want to squish their spirit. Um, But like Millie said, let your words be few. Your no is no, your yes is yes, and they need to learn to respond to that in a respectful way, and that that. takes a lot of time. Um, Deuteronomy 5.27, at your stage of the game, we will listen and obey. And when your kid is getting in that talk-back mindset a lot, stop and redirect by singing that song. We will listen and obey and obey and obey. And just redirect them to, hey, you know, you mommies, you're talking like you're in charge. You're not. Um, Becoming wise in your own eyes. Revisit the seven cycles of sin. We can teach that to you later. Um, When they get into bondage, basically, because they're so wise in their own eyes, they do their own thing. And those are, there's some very practical things that you can do too. Um, But those are my main things. Thanks, Thank you. Um, hey, Mandy, what happens if a child refuses to sit in timeout or go to the room when they're asked? Yikes. You mean my passionate kids? They always do that. Okay. <laughs> so um, I told you we're a little, we're a little, we discipline a little bit differently because I've seen the benefits of, um, of that. So we don't actually do timeout. Um, and if I send the kids to their room, we already just have a policy that like, hey, if I ask you to go to your room, it's not because it's a punishment. It's because I think you need some think time. And so I've kind of even gotten away from, hey, would you go 
to your room. We just say, you need some think time. And um, my kids kind of need to decide where that think time is going to take place. And I feel like for the controller and the manipulative, manipulative type child, that gives them some sense of control. Where can I have my think time? That's your, you need it. You need to take it. Where would you like to have it? And I'm okay with that. And if Riley's like, I'd like to sit on the trampoline in the sunshine and have my think time. Super. You go have your think time. And when you're ready to talk about what's been going on, I want you to come back to me. When they're little bitty, um, think time is like, you know, on the little floor pillow right there in the kitchen where I am cooking dinner. Sit on the think pillow. When you're ready to talk about it, let me know. And then when they say, I'm ready to talk about it, I stop what I'm doing. We go over direct eye contact right there. Okay, what, it, what do we need to talk about? What was the behavior? What happened? Um, and so I've just noticed that since we've changed our lingo to think time, my kids are much more um, connected to me and willing to listen to me about whatever behavior is going on. Um, when, if you like timeout, that's your thing, that's fine. Um, but I would question if they refuse to go, why? Are they refusing to go because they're scared to be alone? Are they refusing to go because it makes them feel disconnected to you and so they're shamed? Um, are they refusing to go because like my kids are active and if you send me to my room and I have to sit on my, on my bed, what am, what am I gonna do with myself? They kind of freak out when they have to be quiet and silent. That's why bedtime's so hard. Um, and so I started giving my kids things to do. Um, when think time was hard, would you like to draw a picture about what just happened? Would you like to write out a few things about what you're thinking? Um, would you like to write mom a letter? We have journals that we pass back and forth. You want to sit and think time and write me a letter. And sometimes they do a lot better to write it down. When they were little bitty, I was like, draw me a picture of how you're feeling. You know, they come back with this big black page. <laughs> um, so anyways, I would just say if you choose to do timeout, why are they scared to go? Could you go to timeout with them and sit down next to them? and wait for them to want to talk to you. Those are things I would That's ask great. myself. Lindsay, with you having little littles, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, my kids aren't usually scared to go to timeout or to break. We call it a break. Uh, they just don't want to because it's a party out in our middle area. And so if you have to be pulled away to stop and think about something, that's a negative for them. So they work well for our family. So uh, the usual way that we do it is we'll say, I'm going to try my words. If my words don't work, then you're going to have to go take a break, and you're going to have to use that time to think about it. If the break doesn't work, then we're going to have to go to a consequence. So the break is grace because we're not moving straight to a consequence. So with Emma being four or five, I would say, if you're choosing to not go to your room, then you're choosing a consequence right now. So what's your choice? With Tanner, I would say, and all of this has to be so soft and so um, compassionate and loving. When it's done well, it goes really well. When I don't do it well, it goes very bad. Uh, with Tanner, I, he's older. He's more reasonable. Um, I would lean in and say, hey, buddy, I'm not going to make you go to your room. I can't force you to go there. But I just have a question for you right now. Who are you pleasing? Are you pleasing the Lord or are you pleasing yourself? And usually I just let it kind of wait, kind of like it is right now in here. And he breaks and he'll say, ah, oh yeah, you're right. And then he'll go. If he doesn't break, then that's just, a ne that's, that's for me to kind of decide what the next step is. What needs to happen in order to him to, for him to soften, to hear my words. Because the goal is not just to plow through this break time and 
by all means, you're going to your break right now. Like, that doesn't benefit anybody. So, um, anyway, the softness um, in that conversation with the older one has worked really well for us. Um, And just to be able to say what pleases the Lord right now is if you obey your mom. So, what are you going to choose? So, that's us. That's great. Thank you. Um, Okay, quickly, because I think we've hit some of this already. But a kid that bites, a kid that hits, a kid that physically hurts someone else. I've been in the tree fort. My kids have done that. Well, <laughs> I know it's always nice when you go pick up your kids at the Sunday school. When we went to Sunday school one day and there was a, your child was bit today. Um, we didn't end up going Notice. to that church. But anyways, um, <laughs> not for that reason. But anyways, I would just say depends on, again, this is where you really start seeing. When it turns to biting, hitting, that kind of thing, then it becomes to folly and it becomes a heart issue. As long as it's just a tantrum, but certainly in those one to two-year-old, I think you've got to handle it. I would say also a reference, um, Matthew 537 and James 512. I've heard a lot of moms up here saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Those are both where those verses are found because there is, the Lord does say, let your yes be yes and your simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. So just for a reference, I think just not really. I mean, I feel like what I have to say has been repeated. I was thinking more a little bit younger than two. Um, I we just you know, always say, I just always say, you know, no bite, no kick. I try to use fewer words because I'm Morty. And, um, and then a lot of times I, with Nathan, my 19 month old, he gets put in his crib because he likes to just fall over and over. And so usually I just put him in there away from everybody. And he, he likes to be with the people. So that tends to stop the fussing and we try again. And usually, usually it works. That's good. Great. Um, hey, uh, Jeannie, what happens when you and your husband are on different pages in regards to disciplining? Oh. You know, that's, it's funny that you asked me that question because John and I have very different personality styles, okay? I'm a loud, proud, outgoing, go-getter. He's very calm and kind and serene. And so just our personalities are very different. Our temperaments are very different. Um, I would have to say you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think the answer, we've just come through the five aspects of woman, and what I'm seeing so clearly is that God is going to lead through your husband, for better, for worse, right or wrong. Look at him and go, okay, what has God equipped you to do and deal with within this child, and what has he equipped me to deal with? I would pray through together Philippians 4, 2, 1 through 4. You know, have encouragement, have strength, have compassion, but make your joy complete by being like-minded and one in spirit and purpose and start to pray for that unity and that oneness of mind. And then do nothing out of selfish ambition of vain conceit. In humility, consider his interests better than yours. And attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And he didn't grasp, he didn't cling to his deity and all his power and his legions of angels. He surrendered that and laid it down. And so I really do think that this comes down to letting him lead, you know. And if he is harming your child, if there's an abusive issue, if there's something going on, then that's when the community is your best friend and lean in and going, hey, am I seeing something? But kids, I think really will resonate and go deeper um, in their discipline, in their acceptance of it, if they see they can't go back and forth like a ping pong ball between mom and dad and play one after the other. Realize when he comes home at night, he's tired. He's been putting out fires and fighting battles all day long. 
So have some sort of like-mindedness, almost like landing a plane, maybe a conversation on the way home. Hey, this is what I've really struggled with today. This is what I see Hudson going long in. I really need us to tag team this. Because when he comes into a firefight blind, he may handle it and react to it differently without the context of what has gone on all day long in your house. Mm -hmm. And so not that you need to call and vent, but just make sure that he's aware so you can land the plane on the runway, um, right? Um, I would also look to go past the disciplinary behavior issue to the heart issue and choose to try to find common ground on what the heart issue is that the child is struggling with versus how they're behaving and how you're not just like it. Move towards the um, start, stop, keep. What do we want our child to stop doing? What's a word that we can keep in mind? Both of us have a verse together that we're honing in on or a passage towards obedience, what obedience looks like. And then what do we want them to start doing? And that comes from... Three questions for frantic families. Know what your objective is with your husband. Lots of times you just want to fight different issues because things are more important to you than to him and vice versa. So agree what battles in this child's heart, what ground are we really trying to take at any given time? Is it that they're throwing a fit every time I ask them to get in their car seat? And you become a team. But that takes a conversation that you really sit down and have where you come up with a game plan. Lindsay, can you add a little bit to that in 30 seconds? Yeah, sure. Um, Just as far as how that ends up looking in our family, Mm -hmm. if we have found something that we're not on the same page about, we'll call a same page meeting. See what I did there? I like that. And uh, we'll plan it for maybe a couple days later and just say, hey, this is the topic. Um, Let's both pray about it. Let's seek wisdom by ourselves. Um, Let's look at podcasts. Let's seek the Bible. Let's seek maybe a couple of people in our community group and come back together um, at that appointed time to talk about it and come to the same, um, get on the same page, ladies. That's what I was going to say. Awesome. Um, Yeah. Bringing community if needed. We've done that with with our kids and and things that are challenging. So community. Awesome. Uh, Mandy, can you give some tips on how to help children with their own anger struggles? Yeah, so in our house, we go to Psalm 4-4, which says, In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. That was literally on a piece of paper next to every bed um, and just kind of went with our, hey, you you need uh, some think time. And just knowing that in that scripture, David is not talking about our children, but it is a great principle for them that, um, hey, you're on a course to rebellion, or your heart is cloudy. That's what I said when they were like real little. You need to find a quiet place to think about where you are right now and then um, not be influenced by your feelings or your passions is what I start telling my bigger kids now. And so those are kind of my three things. Like you're on a road to rebellion. Find a quiet place. Search your heart. Come tell me what you figure out. And we're just empowering our kids to deal with their stuff in an appropriate way is all. So. That's great. And um, sometimes when they're really, really little, they're angry. Like there's emotion, there's a reaction. And sometimes anger's our emotion. Other times it's crying. Other times it's pick one. And so with your anger kids, I think it helps a lot when they're little. Say, hey, you seem really angry right now. Talk to me. What happened? Why are you angry right now? And just asking a lot of questions and helping them to start getting introspective on what's going on. And so next question, um, Jessica. Uh, would you speak a bit more directly to what discipline looks like with a special needs child? Okay. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I'm going to try not to cry. Aww. Um, my second, Elliot, is six, and he's autistic. Um, and 
Discipline for him looks way different than our other children. So for him, I have to remember where he is developmentally when it comes to understanding what he's done and what he needs to correct. Um, way different than I do with my seven-year-old, who is also somewhat has special needs, but it's, it doesn't affect him the same way. So with him, it's a lot of getting on the eye level, talking to him. I, um, kids with autism don't tend to make good eye contact, so I have to hold his face and talk to him. I wasn't expecting to cry again. Um, two days ago, uh, we were playing outside in the backyard, and he kept wanting to go up the slide and run into the baby he was trying to go down the slide. And I kept saying to him, um, get into his face and say, we go up the ladder, down the slide. I use short sentences. Um, and he is able to communicate very, uh, a little bit. He's, he's um, progressed over the last two years. And so we had a lot of come sit by me because he kept going up the slide. And for him, like those timeouts or just like cooling off moments to keep him from having a meltdown, um, I very rarely spank Elliot because that escalates quickly um, and we can't sometimes recover from that in the day. So with him, it's it's a lot of repetition. I'm repeating myself a ton with him. Um, not so much even with my four-year-old. And sometimes that I can get frustrated because I'm like, you're six, the four-year-old is getting it. But then I have to remember where he is developmentally. He's more sometimes like a three-year-old or a two-year-old when it comes to these things. And um, we did that about six times um, this past week. And then he, he self-corrected. And that's when, that's when I'm like, okay, the Lord's redeeming this mm-hmm. um, when I don't do it correctly. He was about to go up the slide and he's like, Go up the ladder, down the slope. And he walked up the ladder. Hmm. And it's those moments, because, I mean, when we got the diagnosis, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. How is he going to progress through life? And the Lord is faithful um, in me being consistent with him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, every special need kid is different, just like every neurotypical child is different. But just... Like Mandy said, study your kid, figure out what they need. He, what he needs could be different than any other autistic child. And so I have to remember. Um, but we do um, the bed for him. Like when he is out of control, I send him to his bed with whatever toy that he enjoys to calm down. And then usually I go in there and I lay on the bed with him and stroke his back. And we just like have a, have a moment to connect. He needs that a lot. And usually he can come out and join the family and get back to what we're doing. And he's fine. So, um, but yeah, I do lots of like in the eye more so than with any of my other kids, like on my knees in his face mm-hmm. and short sentences. So awesome. Hey Jeannie, um, how do you handle discipline in a public setting? Yeah. I, just to that point, I just love your heart for I your know, kids. Right? I mean, goodness gracious. Um, I would say to the degree you can, and I'm going to springboard off Jess's thing just a little bit here, pull them in. When you have a defiant child, our tendency is to want to push them away and distance ourselves from them. Get quiet. Doing what Mandy and Jess are saying, connect with your kid physically. My most defiant, what John and I would say is all our trouble is our number three. And she's given us more trouble than all the other four kids combined. Uh And what we discovered with her is she is one of those power brokers. She's a passionate child and very high sense of justice, maybe often misinformed, but her sense of right. She's like her mama (laughs) and that she's wrong but never in doubt. And so she's... um, You know, I get her, but what we discovered way too late with her, really by four or five, and I wish we'd known it at one or two, is she needs to connect physically. Pull her in. In a public setting, do your best to stop what you're doing. If you need to sit down in the middle of Walmart, do it. Pull them in. 
Okay, connect with them. Make sure they understand what you're asking. Are they hangry? You know, are they halt? Are they hungry? Are you hungry? Are yeah. you hungry? And I've got such a funny story. I've already told it to you guys before, but I will not take our time to tell it now about a Walmart story in that very situation. Oh, so but good. here's the deal. We have to get rid of our fear of man. We are not here to please men. We are here to please God. If it's right in private, it's right in public. Amen. Okay. And so if you are disciplined in anger at home and you're scared that if you take that outside the door and do that at the park, that you're going to get in trouble, maybe also adjust how you're addressing that situation at home. There should be a consistency because God's watching. And when there is that consistency that we talked about at the beginning, then yes, you discipline in public. You're training those moms around you. You're training those other children watching you. And so I would say do discipline in public, no fear of man. You know, have your answers ready, but do it in the right way. And I would say the second caveat to that is don't shame the child. If you're humiliated and you're ashamed of how they're behaving, don't... Sometimes we're at the stage now where parents are beating their kids up more with their words from the sidelines and slandering their kids and talking about them than they even are spanking them. But when you malign and assault the kid's character or that they're so lazy or they're whatever, or get off your butt and do something from the sideline. That's a private conversation. So discipline quietly with them up close. And, and if, even if you're in a public setting, pull them in, make it private, lower your voice like Lindsay's saying, lower your tone, soft eyes. And then if you need to, some corporal punishment, the car... The bathroom is your best friend, Mm -hmm. you know, because many times when it's done way out there, it's just to appease the parent whose kid they've just bitten. And so you want to spank and show them that you know that that was wrong, you know. And so just show dignity and worth to the child and make sure that your public and private discipline is consistent. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Um, Okay. Here's the scenario, Allison, this is just for you real quickly. You're in the park, it's time to leave. Your two-year-old is running from you because they, don't want, because they want to stay and everyone is watching. Ooh, what do you do? Well, first thing you do, are they in danger or not? If they're in danger, so i.e. running through a parking lot, going through parked cars, headed down to a creek where there's water. I mean, it is fast and furious. I count other kids, Callie, stay, Tucker with me. Parker, stop now. I mean, it is voice raised. You are commanding them to stop, right? Because there is danger, Will Robinson, right? Anybody danger? Danger, Will Robinson? Okay, so there's danger. So that's okay. Voice has to elevate because that's a dangerous situation. And then it's you gather that child and you get down on their level. Everything that's, you're down on that level, eye to eye, and it's, Parker, it is not okay for you to run from mommy when I say it's time to go. That is dangerous. And then in my house, we would then move into the car, and I would strap the other two kids in where they needed to be. I'd go to the back seat, and I'd say, buddy, mommy loves you so much that I need you to learn to listen to me because of your safety. And because you ran from me in a very dangerous situation, you are now going to get a spanking. And it is calm, and I administer the spanking. And then there's time for, um, we're going to talk about spanking and what that looks like biblically here in a minute. But then I, I, I bring him in. There's tears. We reconcile. He apologizes. And then we do that at home next. We're at home. We set up a pretend picnic or something in the front yard or in the front yard or in the living room. And I'm like, okay, it's time to go. What do we do? And I get them to practice with me. Yes, ma'am, right away. And we gather our things and we go. And he gets the bag and Callie gets this and Tucker gets that. Like we practice and we rehearse. 
If there's not danger, this is where I go, okay, they just want to stay and they're run off and he's on the playground or Callie's on the playground or whatever. I start gathering my things, get all my other children locked and loaded, our belongings ready to go. And I make my way towards that child. If I start chasing him, my kids becomes, it's a chase. It becomes a game. Like now we're into the fun zone and it is all chaos out, out of control. And so I gather, I collect, I get everyone together. Then I go after the child that's run away, the ones that came. Hey, good job. Well done. You stay right here, hand on the stroller. I'm going to go get Parker. Um, I'm using my oldest son a lot. Can you tell that this was the issue with him? Anyways, and so then I would um, go gather them. Again, same thing, hand, like get them to me. I contact, hey, it's time to go. And you can't leave when mommy say it's time to go. I need you to say yes, ma'am, and we leave together. And then I grab his hand, we go to the car. Depending on that reaction there is when I might administer a consequence. Mm-hmm. That's good. Millie, I think we're going to skip to you and ask you about sharing conflicts and how you resolve that within siblings in the home. Okay, well, I really think sharing, you know, I think the best consequences are the natural consequences when they don't involve. And so I'm just going to share a quick little story. We were at Sonic. We always went to Sonic because we had our, my kids went to a school at another area. And so we're sitting in Sonic and and we always share drinks. I'm one of those people that I just think, I just encourage y'all may not agree with that, but I just would buy one drink and my kids would share it. So we, on this particular day, Gracie at four announces, she does not, she goes, I don't want to share. And I said, that's perfect. I go, Blaine, what do you want? He said, I want the strawberry lime slush. I said, great. So we got a Route 44. I said, we'll have one Route 44 strawberry lime slush with extra strawberries, and then I want a water with no ice. So Gracie was like, not really sure what that was about, but when we got the drink, I handed her the water with no ice. And so Blaine immediately takes a sip, and he goes, man, I just got a strawberry. I know, honey, they're great. They're in season. Well, strawberries were her favorite. So she did not get a sip of the, mm-hmm. the drink. And then about three weeks later, we're going um, out with some friends. So I've got three of their kids in the car, and I've got two of mine. And so they were all thirsty. So I went and got one water bottle for this family and one water bottle for our family. Well, immediately, the little boy that's Gracie's age looks and goes, I don't like to share. And, I, and Gracie, with her little bob haircut, whipped around and said, I would never say that to my mom. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you, our best words in that are sharing. I always tell my kids, fight for each other, not against each other. All of my kids love each other. I have zero tolerance for disrespect toward each other. I've used things like, okay, guys, y'all bickered all the way over here. Y'all get outside the car and kiss on the lips for a full minute. They're like, what? And I'm like, full minute, get going. So I just, I've had them hold hands and go into church. I've had them do things. I think the more we can incorporate humor and the more we can incorporate just a natural consequence, listen to what your kids are saying. They're giving you opportunities every day that you can say, okay, I hear you. You don't want to share. You don't have to share, but you're not going to get anything good. So I would just really encourage that. Also, when they come up to you and they say, he's my, you know, he's not sharing or he's not doing this. Always say, okay, I want to hear your side of the story. What happened? What did you do? Make them start with an I confession, like I hit him. I took the toy away. I did this. And then also listen to the other person, but say, did you honor God in that? I just think the more questions we can ask our kids and help them think like Christians, I think the more, I I just think it makes a very big impact. And I've heard a lot of these ladies put it back on the child 
What are you doing? What did you do? Does that honor the Lord? I just think that's the best way to approach yeah, it. Just empowering our kids. Yes. Okay, we are running short on time. The last thing that we were going to cover was just what biblical spanking looks like. I hope it is our desire that we have shown you a whole myriad of ways that you can discipline your kids. We want no one to walk out of the door and go, oh, if I'm not doing it that way, I'm wrong. Because we all do things differently. We all manage our kids differently. And literally, even within my own home, I discipline one kid different than another. And so we, we hope that we're showing you that. And so, but we did want to give everybody a little bit of feedback on what spanking looks like. If you choose to use that in your home, we have, the, um, we have some guidelines on the back of your handout. And these are real, these are golden. If you choose to use the spanking, we really encourage you to read this. Be familiar with scripture, do your research, make sure your heart's in the right place. Remember how we talked about your heart condition? You don't want to give a spanking when your heart is cloudy. And so really read through those and take a look at that and know that for each of us, spanking looks different within our own homes. If we had more time, we'd kind of spell that out for you, but instead we're going to push you to this. And then do you have anything to add to spanking? Um, the only thing I would add is one of the biggest questions we always get is, hey, am I commanded to spank my child? What does God's word say? And uh, we reached out to our family minister's pastor, Wes uh, Butler, just to double check that where we landed is where the church or the stance of our church is. And I'm just going to read his response real quick. Um, he says that, um, I do not believe that it is a commandment of scripture to spank. All of the references to the rod are contained in a book of poetry as well as in a book of Proverbs. The poetry of the pro and the Proverbs would inform us that the rod may or might not be a physical tool. Um, it is definitely a metaphor intended to instruct that us that discipline is necessary um, for a godly parenting, but to say these passages of command us to spank is a stretch. And so it is not a commandment to spank your child. You need to use your judgment if that is the best use of a tool, but what is important and the certainty of a consequence. And so it might not be a spanking, it might be something else, but you need to make sure that you do have a consequence to, just, um, to administer to a child when they need correction. Um, the only thing I yeah, would really add, add to one, that yeah, was there are so many variables that mm -hmm. go into a situation. When I have a mom that calls me, should I spank for this show? Well, it's the mother's heart. It's mm -hmm. the dad's heart. It's the this. So there's so many variables that are unique to each family. And so I would just push into you to say, pray. Prayer is mm -hmm. so important. Communicate with the Lord. Figure out if that's right for your family. Talk to your spouse. Before you really embark on that, it goes back to getting a plan. Do you feel comfortable with it? Can you deliver it in a controlled, measured, with the right heart? So I would just really lean into the Lord on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this handout, y'all, is really, really good. Mm -hmm. So please read that. And if, of course, you ever have any questions about anything mm -hmm. up here, you can reach out to us, and we'll be happy to meet with you on that. Uh, Lindsay, real quick. I hate to do this quickly, but I think it's important. You mentioned spanking your 15-month-old for the first time. Yeah. Could you let us know exactly what that looked like? Sure. Chunky thigh, hiney bottom. It's really cute. Tushy, flick of a hand, yeah. Sure. He had on a little onesie, so I just I put him over my leg, and um, I was on the floor already, and I just hiked up his little diaper so I saw a little cheek, <laughs> and I, just, I gave him two little pops, little and um, he yeah. looked at me completely like, what? What is this? Yeah. And I said, that's right. No. And it's going to keep coming. Um, 
but we had, yeah, had to have obvious. Yeah, so obviously it was controlled. It was with an attitude of correction. Yes. Um, it, it is important for it to sting a touch, um, but that is not something that, um, what am I trying to say? It needs to sting a little bit, but at the same time, like, well, here like one saying, of those guidelines says yeah. it's in the wrist. It's and in the so wrist. If you're yeah, it's not in the pulling back, then that's not being administered in the in the heart. Yeah. That yeah, I think too. Okay. Look at I love that when she. I think one of the key things that Lindsay said that I heard was she heard the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So you know she had been praying about that. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of times that I got the yoo-hoo, hello, you know, whether you turn to the left or the right, you will hear a voice saying, "This is the way. Walk in it." And I would say Proverbs 10, uh, 13 says, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the one who lacks judgment. And so I would say it's for the backside of the one who lacks judgment. That's usually what it says. But yeah. anyway, so I would just say consult the Lord. All right, ladies, thank you for your time and wisdom. Appreciate it.